0: Coastline Baptist Church this morning, and I'm glad that you're in your place, and it's certainly an honor for me to be in this pulpit and share in this wonderful service with you. These are exciting times in your church and a great season of the year to be involved in the work of Christ as you think about your missions conference coming up on the horizon. What a great opportunity to be a part of what God is doing worldwide and uh, have a part in that, and I'm glad that you're here today. Take your Bible, let's go to the book of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes and the last chapter, Psalms then Proverbs and then this book of Ecclesiastes and chapter number 12, we're going to look at the last two verses of this book of Ecclesiastes this morning, Ecclesiastes chapter number 12 and we'll look at verses 13 and 14, if you will, there in the word of God verse 13 the bible says let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter fear god and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man for god shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing whether it be good or whether it be evil i started going to church nine months before i was born and uh when I was a kid going to church, we didn't have nurseries. There was no such thing as a nursery, and there was no such thing as junior church. I never heard of a junior church until I got to college, and so when I was a kid growing up going to church, you had to go to the main service. You had to go to the big service. You had to go with the adults, and you had to behave. I mean, you had to be good in church, and... Uh, I would go to church and, and uh, I like to sit on the aisle and my dad would sit just inside of me and then my mom and my sister brother and, and I would sit there at the aisle and, and you know church for a little kid is tough. I mean it's you know it's not really on your level, it's kinda a lot of things just going right over your head and, and you get distracted and you start thinking about other things. And whenever I would mess around in church, get distracted, start getting disinterested, my mother she had extensions on her arms. And uh, there must have been a little button somewhere that she would push, and, and her arm would extend out, and she would reach across my dad's lap, and she would pinch me right on the kneecap. And I mean, I've got welts there to this day from all the times I messed up in church. But my favorite time in the message, my pastor would get up and he would preach, and my favorite moment in the sermon was when my pastor would say, and in conclusion, <laughs> boy, I live for that moment. I just, I just listen for that one little phrase, in conclusion, because I knew that my pastor was pretty good at landing the plane when he said we're going in. And uh, he would come to an end of that sermon, and I, that meant I could go out and play tag with my friends or something on the front lawn. But I live for that conclusion of the sermon. But you know, thinking about that, The conclusion of a matter is pretty important. The conclusion of a book is very important. The conclusion of a course of study, the conclusion of an education, graduation, commencement, very important time. I think of the conclusion of a game, you know, a sporting event, some of us, don't get to watch a lot of games but we'll just kind of watch sports center or we'll check our our computer just to kind of see what the conclusion was i think of the conclusion of a court case and here in the scriptures before us this morning god talks to us about the conclusion of life as we live in the 21st century we are noticing on a daily basis a lot of things happening in this world that the Bible predicts. We see a lot of things happening politically, and economically, and morally that the Bible has said is going to happen as we come to the end of an age. And we begin to see how God is kind of orchestrating and bringing some things together in order to fulfill His Word. And it's kind of neat to understand that. It's it's kind of exciting to be kind of aware of the prophecies of the Bible and see how they're all fitting together. But the real question this morning is, how is it going to conclude for you? It's one thing to know how the world is going to end. Maybe what's going to happen to the nations or who's going to rule the world or how it's all going to end up, but how is it going to end for you? A lot of people think that when you die physically, that's the end of everything, that when you die, you are placed in the ground and life is over. Years ago, Dr. Bob Jones Sr. was sitting in his office. He was the president of Bob Jones College in Cleveland, Tennessee, and he was working there at his desk doing some writing, and he sensed someone coming into the room, and so without even looking up, he said, may I help you? A young lady, a student at the college, was standing in the doorway, and she said, Dr. Jones, I just came by to let you know that I'm going to kill myself. Without even looking up, Dr. Jones said, I'm sorry, you can't do that. She took a few steps toward the desk, and she said, sir, I'm not kidding. I'm going to commit suicide. He looked up at her, and he said, I'm sorry, you can't. She said, don't mock me. Don't make fun of me. I'm tired of living. I'm going to end it all today. He said, young lady, you can't do that. You're going to live somewhere forever. And my friend, it's true. And while life on this planet will one day end, we are going to live somewhere forever. The Bible says in Hebrews 9, 27, and as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. Solomon in this same book, a few verses prior said in chapter 12, then shall the dust return to the earth from whence it came, but the spirit shall return to God who gave it. You have what is called a soul that is going to live somewhere in eternity forever. And I wonder this morning, are we prepared for the conclusion? Are we prepared to meet God? In this passage before us of just two simple verses, God makes us aware of three important concepts with respect to the conclusion of life. First of all, he points out a duty. He says in verse 13, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. He kind of boils things down here. He simplifies. He begins to speak very succinctly as he says, here's the bottom line. Here's the conclusion of the whole matter. And he speaks to us and reminds us of an ending day. In verse 13, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. One day, life on earth is going to end. Many people live as if there is no end. They just live from one party to the next, one weekend to the next, one big event to the next, and they think it's all just going to kind of keep happening just like it is. They kind of have the idea, let's just live it up, let's grab everything we can out of life, and, and tomorrow will be as this day. And that's not uh, really an old philo- or a new philosophy, it's a rather old philosophy. In Isaiah chapter 56 and verse 12, the Bible says, Come ye, say they, let us fetch wine, and we will fill ourselves with strong drink, and tomorrow shall be as this day and much more abundant. In other words, let's just party on. Let's just live life for whatever it has to offer, and and tomorrow will be just like this one and even more abundant. In Jeremiah chapter 8 and verse 6, I hearkened and heard, but they spake not aright. No man repented him of his wickedness, saying, What have I done? Everyone turneth his course like a horse rusheth into the battle. He the stork knoweth her appointed time, and the turtle and the crane and the swallow know the times of their coming, but my people know not the judgment of the Lord. God looks at the human race this morning and he says, I can't quite figure this out. All of my creation understands the times and seasons. The birds know when to migrate, the the animals know when to hibernate, but my people can't figure out that one day they're going to meet me, that one day they're going to give an account of life, that one day they're going to stand in judgment. The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully, and he thought within himself, what shall I do? I have no room to bestow all my fruits and my goods. I'll say to my soul, this shall I do. I'll pull down my barns, I'll build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods, and I'll say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. You know, if that guy was alive today in 2010, we'd be putting his picture on the front of Forbes magazine, and we'd be writing up his profile in the Wall Street Journal, and we'd be trying to figure out how to emulate the way he lived. We'd be saying, here was a guy that had some business sense. Here was a guy that knew how to make some money and, and lay it up in stores so that he could retire early. The American dream. But God said in the next verse, thou fool. This night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. God says if we just kind of go through life, and all we live for is life itself, and we never prepare to meet God, we never prepare for the conclusion, we're living very foolishly. Very foolishly. Boast not thyself of tomorrow. Thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. What is your life? It's even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. David said, there's but a step between me and death. Years ago, I was preaching a revival meeting in Indianapolis, Indiana, and on a Tuesday night, there was a lady in the church there who had a neighbor who had been quite sick. In fact, she had had cancer for a number of years. And that morning, that Tuesday morning, she was out in her yard working, the lady from the church and her neighbor pulled into the driveway and as soon as she got out of the car, the Christian lady noticed she was a bit distraught, a little bit teary-eyed. And she called to her, is everything okay? Are you all right? The lady came over to the fence line and she said, I just got back from the doctors and they told me that my cancer has taken a turn for the worse. There's nothing they can do. They gave me two weeks to live. The Christian lady, she said, ma'am, listen, I've talked to you about this. I've tried to tell you about Jesus and how you need to be saved. And she said, why don't you come to church with me tonight? We're having a revival meeting. We're having a a special service tonight. And and, and I'd like you to come with me. You need to to think about eternity. You need to think about getting things settled. Well, the lady said, I don't know. I, I don't know if I want to go out tonight. She said, I'll call you. Well, that afternoon indeed she did call and decided to go with her neighbor to church. And these two ladies sat over here to my right. I didn't know anything about what I just told you. But God led me to preach that night out of Hebrews 9 and verse 27, a simple gospel message from that verse in verse 27 of chapter 9 in Hebrews where it says, It's appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. Now I was preaching that message and got to about the very end, maybe about 10 minutes to go in the message, and over here to my left, in this back corner over here, a man sitting on the aisle, 40 years of age, slumped over in the pew. By the grace of God, there was a medical doctor sitting right across the aisle from him, and he jumped up and went to the man's assistance. Also sitting in that back corner were two registered nurses and I noticed the doctor give uh, some uh, orders to one of the nurses to go out into the lobby and uh, there she called 911 and the other nurse got down in between the pews there to assist the doctor with this man. Well I closed the sermon down and and uh, went into the invitation most of the people were unaware of what was going on back in this corner and so I said let's bow our heads and close our eyes and I led in a prayer and started the pastor had come up on the platform and I kind of let him know that there were some problems in the back and he said, just, just keep going. He said, that doctor is the, one of the best in Indianapolis. He'll take care of it. So we went into the invitation, invited folks to come and trust Christ as Savior and, and several folks came to the altar and uh, I gave it over to the pastor and he had everyone sit down and he kind of informed folks that there was an emergency in the back and that we needed to pray. And so he began to lead the congregation in prayer. And as he did, the paramedics came in with the little cart and they put the man on top of there and wheeled him out. As he was closing his prayer, we could hear the sirens going off into the distance to the hospital. The pastor closed his prayer and dismissed the service. And this lady over here that had brought her neighbor, she turned to her neighbor lady and she said, Listen, don't you think you ought to get saved? I mean, 12 hours ago, you were told that you've got two weeks to live. And now you've sat for an hour and listened to the Bible, and in the Bible it says that we're going to die and we must prepare to meet God. And now you've seen an illustration of someone almost half your age hanging between life and death. Don't you think you need to get saved? And that lady with cancer looked at her neighbor. She said this, I'm just not ready. And when that was shared with me later, I thought, when will she be ready to prepare? And my friend, when are we going to get ready for the conclusion? We may be ready for this week, and we may have all of our plans laid for this year or this Christmas season or whatever it is, but when will we prepare for the ending day? Notice not only is there an ending day involved in this duty, but we see an emphatic directive. In verse 13, he says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God. Fear God. Friend, do you understand there is a God? That God is real. He really does exist. The Bible says the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Fastest growing religion in America this morning is no religion. Atheism is growing at a very rapid pace in our country. And every once in a while, someone will say to me as I try to witness them, "I'll say, uh, 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 I'll say something about the Lord and they'll say, oh, I'm an atheist. And I always say, God doesn't believe you. (laughs) And by the way, he doesn't. Usually that causes them to stop for a moment and look at me kind of strange. I'll get to quote Romans chapter 1 and verse 20. That which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Do you realize that God has said there's not a person alive on planet Earth that does not know that I exist? I have revealed myself to them. There is no such thing as an atheist. And if you read further in the book of Romans, you'll come to chapter 2, and it tells us that every person believes this book is true. Because in chapter 2, it'll tell you that God has written it on our hearts our conscience also bearing witness. You see, man may easily excuse himself from this preparation for the conclusion, but God says, no, you know that there's a God, and we need to fear that God because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction." In Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 22 How long, ye simple ones, will ye love simplicity? And the scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. Turn you at my reproof. I'll pour out my spirit unto you. I'll make known my words unto you, because I've called, but you refused. I stretched out my arm, but no man regarded. But you have set at naught all my counsel. You would none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I'll mock when your fear cometh, when your fear cometh as desolation, when your destruction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish cometh upon you. Then shall they call upon me, but I'll not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. Therefore shall they eat the fruit of their own doings. For the turning away of the simple shall slay them, and the prosperity of fools shall destroy them, but whoso hearkeneth unto me shall dwell safely, and shall be quiet from fear of evil. There's an emphatic directive here to fear God, and then there's an established doctrine. Keep his commandments. God means what he says. We don't always understand and we don't always like what God says and we may resist it in our flesh, but God says keep my commandments. God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, shall he not do it? Hath he spoken, shall he not make it good? Folks, we need to pattern our life after the word of God. It's the word of God that one day will be our judge. Whoso despiseth the word shall be destroyed. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words, Jesus said, hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall be his judge in the last day. Oh, we have a duty. Fear God. Keep his commandments. But notice, secondly, this morning, a divine. In verse 14, he says, for God. For God. When it comes to a court case, everybody involved in that case, the prosecuting attorney, the defense attorney, the jury, certainly the person on trial, everybody is concerned and interested in knowing who the judge is going to be. Because some judges may have a certain passion about certain crimes and be a little more lenient in some other areas. And so everybody is very interested when a case is brought before a court, who is going to be the judge? I know from playing some sports back in high school and college, we were, already, we were always very interested in knowing who the ref was going to be. In basketball, in our college league, we played a number of uh, schools in kind of a rotation, you know, in a college conference like that. And, and uh, a conference has its own officials. And they're hired by the conference to officiate those conference games and, and uh uh, they would rotate them from game to game, and you'd see the same referees sometimes two or three, sometimes four or five times in a season in that college uh, conference schedule. And there was one ref that we had every year in our conference. His name was Dale, and he had a withered arm. You could always tell when he walked in the in in the in the uh, gym because he he kind of his arm just was kind of uh, 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 turned a certain way. And whenever we would see Dale, I, I I know that other players felt the way I did. I always had kind of a relief. I thought, oh man, good. Dale's here. Dale's the ref. Dale's one of the officials. This is great because Dale was, he was fair and he was helpful. When when he would, when he would call something on you, he'd always tell you exactly what you did. If he called traveling, he'd tell you how you traveled. If he, if he called a foul, he'd tell you exactly what you did. He was almost like a coach on the floor as he would call the game. And we love playing games when Dale was the official. And there were other refs. They'd walk in the gym and go, oh, no, not that guy again. Oh, man, that guy is so inconsistent. That guy is ticky-tack. He calls every little thing. And then other guys, oh, boy, that guy lets everything go. This is going to be a rough one. We were always interested in who the ref, who the judge was going to be. Folks, when our life ends, the judge has already been determined. The judge is not going to be our best friend. The judge is not going to be our spouse. The judge is not going to be our pastor. The judge is God. For God, before the Lord, for he cometh, he cometh to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and his people with his truth. God's not going to judge the world on the basis of the U.S. Constitution. God's not going to judge you and me on the basis of some church creed. He's going to judge the world on the basis of His truth for God. He is a confirmed judge. I said in mine heart, God shall judge the righteous and the wicked for there's a time there for every purpose and for every work. Paul said, Timothy, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing. But not only is there a confirmed judge, I see here a comprehensive judgment. In verse 14, he says, God will bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil a comprehensive judgment. Nothing will slip by the all-seeing eye of God. Nothing will go past the all-knowing mind of God. We think, oh, you know, God will let me by. God will be kind. God will be gracious. God's a loving God, and He'll he'll overlook a few things in my life. He'll kind of wink as I walk past. Ezekiel said in chapter 7 and verse 8, I will judge thee according to thy ways. And Recompense thee according to thine abominations, mine eye will not spare thee. Neither will I have pity, but I will judge thee for all thy ways and recompense thee for all thine abominations, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. Thou set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins, in the light of thy countenance. O God, thou knowest my foolishness, my secret sins are not hid from thee. If we have forgotten the name of our God or stretched out our hands to a strange God, will not God search this out? For he knoweth the secrets of the heart. There is a duty, there is a divine. And I want you to see thirdly, there is a dividing. In verse 14, it's very obvious that when God conducts this judgment at the end of our life, that there's going to be a separating or a sorting of things. He says, I'm going to judge every work, every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. A separating, a separating of deeds. Now, there are two judgments mentioned in the Bible for us. One is called the judgment seat of Christ. That's for Christians. Those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ will stand before God one day at what's called the judgment seat of Christ. Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians 5, in verse 10. He says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every man may receive the things done in his body, watch this, according to that which is good, and according to that which is evil. God is going to sort some things there, at that judgment for Christians. In 1 Corinthians 3, in verse 13, he talks about this judgment seat of Christ, and he says, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is, whether it be good or whether it be evil. You see, when we die and meet God, that will not be when it will be determined where we will spend eternity. You must determine that now. God doesn't determine if you go to heaven or hell. You determine that, by what you do with Jesus Christ. If you accept Jesus Christ as your savior, you will go to this judgment over here, the judgment seat of Christ. And that judgment will not be to determine whether you're gonna go to heaven or hell. You've already determined that. And your very presence at the judgment seat of Christ confirms that you are a child of God. And nothing can change that. But as a child of God, you are gonna be judged according to your works whether they're good or whether they're evil. In other words, since we got saved, God is keeping track of how we're living. And one day we're going to give an account of that. And our works are going to be tried, the Bible says, by fire. Our God is a consuming fire. Who can stand before the Lord? For He is as a refiner's fire. God is going to burn your works. Now, if you've lived your life as a Christian, according to the Word of God, You've tried to obey him. You've tried to be faithful. You've tried to serve him with all your heart. You've done what is right. The Bible says your works there before God will appear as gold, silver, precious stones. Now, if you put fire to gold, silver, and precious stones, it doesn't destroy those elements. In fact, the fire makes them even better, doesn't it? It refines them. It purifies them. And 1 Corinthians 3 goes on to say that if your works remain, that is, you've built your life according to the Word of God, gold, silver, precious stones, the fire is put to them at the judgment, and your works will remain, the Bible says you will receive a reward. However, the next verse says, if your works are burned. If we have not lived according to the Word of God as a Christian, we got saved, but we said, well, you know, I don't know. I mean, I'm going to heaven now. It really doesn't matter how I live. I can kind of live however I please. I don't have to obey God. I don't have to be really committed to God. I can just kind of do my own thing here. God says, your works will be wood, hay, and stubble. And when the fire is placed to wood, hay, and stubble, it burns it up. And the Bible says, if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. Yet he himself shall be saved, yet so I fire. You won't lose your salvation. You can't. When God saves you, he gives you eternal life. So he, you can't lose your salvation, but you lose your reward. Now, some of you might say, well, I don't, I don't care if I get a reward. I mean, I'm, I'm not big on that. I, if, if I just get to heaven, I'll be happy. I don't need, I don't need any rewards. I don't need any crowns. You, you misunderstand. When we're given a reward by God for the way that we've lived... It's not to keep. We're not going to get a crown from God and then wear it for the rest of eternity and strut around heaven and say, hey, check this crown out. Pretty cool, huh? Boy, your crown's kind of pitiful looking there. I got, I got quite a crown here. No, no, no you're, you're not going to boast about your crown. The Bible says in Revelation 4 that when we receive these crowns, we're going to turn around and cast them at the feet of Jesus, who is worthy to receive glory, power, honor, and blessing. And we're going to say by giving him our crown, thank you for saving me because I'm only here because of you. And so everything that we might earn because of our good works since saved are going to be given to Christ in appreciation. And oh, the old hymn writer, he really laid it out there convictingly when he said, must I go and empty-handed, must I meet my Savior so? Not one crown, With which to greet him, must I empty-handed go? Christian, we're going to meet the Lord. And thank God we're saved. Thank God we don't have to worry about that. But we're going to be judged according to our works. There'll be a separating of deeds. But friend, if you're lost this morning, you too will be judged. And the Bible calls that judgment the great white throne judgment. And it also is a judgment that separates deeds. You see, the great white throne judgment does not determine, again, where a person spends eternity. That's already determined. You must determine that before you meet God by what you do with Christ. But the Bible says in Revelation 20, verse 11, I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heavens fled away and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And watch this, the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. Now, why? These people are lost. These people are condemned to hell. These people have sentenced themselves to a lake of fire by their rejection of Jesus Christ. But God's going to judge them according to their works, a separating of deeds. Just as there is a degree of reward for the Christian, there will be a degree of punishment for the lost based on your deeds. About 35 years ago, I was preaching in Phoenix, Arizona. I can remember this like it was last night. There was a little girl sitting right over here on the aisle. She was 10 years old, blonde hair, beautiful little girl, and sitting next to her was her mom. I preached a simple gospel message that night, and that little girl listened intently. I remember it because she was just a small girl, but she she just seemed so interested and never took her eyes off of me. When I had heads bowed and eyes closed, I said, if you're here tonight and you're not sure that when you die you'd go to heaven, I'd like to pray for you. And if you'll just slip up your hand, I'll be glad to have a word of prayer for you. And that little girl, without any hesitation, began to lift her hand. She got it about head high, and her mother reached over and put her hand down. I continued the invitation, inviting people who had raised their hand now to come and trust Christ as their Savior. And a number of folks came, and on the very first stands of the invitation, that little girl stepped out of her place into the aisle to come and be saved. But she took one step into that aisle, and her mother reached over, grabbed her by the shoulder, pulled her back into that seat, sat her down, sat next to her, and put her finger in her face and said, you are not going anywhere. Now, folks, I believe that that little girl got saved that day. Because walking the aisle doesn't save you. Praying a prayer doesn't save you. You get saved when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Salvation's a heart matter, is it not? So I believe when that little girl decided, I want to be saved, that's what God sees. That's what God looks at. And I did everything I could to encourage her there in her seat to trust Christ. But I would sure hate to be that mother when she stands before God. Because friends, the lost will be judged according to their deeds so there's a separating of the deeds but far more important there's a separating of the destinies you see with Christ we have eternal life without him we have eternal death we live in a day of tolerance we tolerate all views and we don't like winners and losers we want everybody to be treated the same but you know friend when life ends in the conclusion of things He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. If you die with Jesus Christ as your Savior, you win forever. If you die without Christ as your Savior, you lose forever. Those that are saved go to a place called heaven with God where the Bible says there'll be no more crying, no more sickness, no more death, no more pain. For the former things are passed away. But if you die without Christ, you go to a place called hell, where the Bible says there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth, where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. In 2003, my father passed away. My dad had lived his entire life really with a lot of pain. I didn't realize it as a kid. My dad took an aspirin after every meal. There was always a bottle of aspirin at the table in front of his plate. And at the end of the meal, he'd he'd take that thing off and take out an aspirin and pop it in his mouth and take a a gulp of coffee and would take that aspirin. And I, I never thought about it as a kid. I learned later in life that my father had lived almost his entire life with a lot of pain. When he was 13 years old, all of his teeth abscessed at the same time. And he had all of his teeth removed, pulled out in a single day without any painkillers. That's hard to believe, isn't it? I, 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 my dentist is very nice, but uh, I don't like him. <laughs> when I was a kid, there was no such thing as gentle dental, you know? And uh, my, I can't even imagine that, however. My dad, when he was 16, my grandfather had rules. He was a very religious man and very... Very traditional in his religion. And and my grandfather, we were farmers, but my, my grandfather did not allow anything to be done on Sunday except what had to be done. It was a day of rest. It was a day of worship. The problem was all the neighborhood kids played football on Sunday afternoon. And my dad wanted to play, and so when he was 16, he snuck off one Sunday afternoon and played football. And he got tackled, and both of his knees went out. He tore the ligaments in those knees, and he had to crawl home. And when he got home, my grandfather said, well, be sure your sin will find you out. My dad never had those knees fixed. And as a result, he lived with those, that scar tissue and those knees healing as best they could. Tremendous amounts of pain. I never saw my dad jump off of any, any step. I never saw him run. He never played ball with me, and I was never bitter about that. I just knew he couldn't. But I didn't realize the extent of some of those injuries until in his 60s he had a knee replaced and then another. And as a result of one of those operations, he got some blood clots, and and then that led to his eventual death. Lots of complications through that process. The last week of his life, God just had it to where I was preaching in the town where he lived. And so in between the services, I could go up to the hospital with my mom and sit there in those closing hours of my dad's life. By this time, he was greatly distorted in his appearance because of the pain and the painkillers that he was on. He was not cognizant that we were even there, at least that we knew. He was hooked up to a number of machines and just had days to live. But I was glad that we could spend those times, those moments with my dad He suffered so much in those closing days. Well, I left and came back to California at the end of that week and no more than arrived home, really, and was watching my son's basketball game when the phone rang and my dad had gone on to be with the Lord. So we got the family and we went back to Wisconsin for the funeral. And I remember my mom and I had made all of the arrangements for my dad's funeral while I was there. That was was a great thing. So when we got back, it was just really a matter now of having the service, but we were called to the funeral home as a family, a little bit early, to see his body and so on and have some time as a family, and I was very concerned about this, because I had seen my dad just before his death, and he didn't look like my dad. He didn't look like he did when he was at least somewhat healthy. His appearance was distorted, and, and I didn't really want my wife and my kids, and my brother and my sister and their families to remember my dad like that. I had that image, but I wanted them to have the picture in their mind of dad the way he was. And I was praying that the funeral director, a good friend of mine, I'd grown up with him and just an excellent man, and I I was just hoping he could restore my dad's appearance a little bit to where he looked like he did before he got so sick. We came in that funeral home, and I was holding my mom's hand. My wife and kids were behind me, my brother and my sister and their families behind them. And we were coming up some stairs into that funeral home. We were greeted by the director. We came up those stairs. And as we got to about the second step from the top, I could see now into the funeral home to the casket at the front and my dad lying there in state. And I was immediately relieved because my dad looked exactly like he did before he got sick, and I thought, praise the Lord. We have now this remembrance of before he had all that pain. And so I was relieved about that. But I knew my mom couldn't see that far. I knew that because her eyes are not very good, it would take her longer to be able to focus on what he looked like. And as we walked across that room toward that casket, we got about halfway across, and my mother now saw the remains of her husband for 55 years knowing that he's not there, he's with the Lord, but his body's there. And my mom saw him. And I remember she stopped, her hand tightened in mine. And she looked up at me and I'll never forget the three words she spoke. She said, no more pain. No more my friend, one day the conclusion is going to come for you. It's going to come for me. And when it does, we'll be with the Lord in a place where there's no more pain, no more sorrow, no more death, no more crying, or we'll be in a place of constant torment forever. This afternoon, some of you will sit down and watch a football game. And maybe you'll be a little nonchalant in the first quarter, second quarter. you'll kind of keep an eye on the game, but maybe eat lunch alongside of it. when that fourth quarter comes, you'll be a little more interested. that clock will be up there in the corner of the screen, ticking down those moments of the final part of that game. And you'll watch that clock especially if the game is close, or your team's just a little bit ahead or a little bit behind, and you'll be watching that clock with great interest and. Finally, that clock will hit triple zeros. And when it does, there'll be one side celebrating a victory and another side with a loss. And while you watch that game, I want you to remember something. There's another clock that's ticking. It's not going to be on your television screen. You can't see it anywhere. It's kept only by God. And there's no two-minute warning. There's no time out to try to prolong the triple zeros. But when they hit the clock of life, you will be in heaven or you'll be in hell. There'll be a separation of destinies. Are you prepared for the end? Are you prepared for the conclusion? God tells us how. Let's bow for prayer. This heads are just bowed a moment. How many of you this morning with an uplifted hand could say, Brother Getch, I'm so thankful that at some point in my life somebody shared with me how I could prepare for eternity. They told me about Jesus Christ who died on a cross and was buried and rose again the third day in order to save sinners. And I realized that day that I was a sinner and I trusted Christ as my savior. And today on the basis of that fact and that fact alone, I know that when the clock of my life hits those triple zeros, to be absent from the body, will be to be present with the Lord. And I'm thankful I know that, have that assurance. If that's your testimony, just slip up your hand all over this room. No one's looking, no one will be embarrassed. God bless you, you can slip it down. Maybe you're here today and you'd say, Mr. Getch, I really don't know that for sure. If I could know that, I'd like to know that. I'd like to have that settled. I'd like to know that the end is already set, that the conclusion of life is already done, that my eternity is settled with God. And I'd like to have you pray for me. I'll not embarrass you. But if you couldn't lift your hand a minute ago, if you'd be kind enough to lift it now and by doing so you'd simply be saying Mr. Getsch pray for me I'd like to be ready for the conclusion and I'm not sure that I am remember me in prayer would you slip up your hand right now wherever you're seated God bless you Is there someone else you'd let, raise your hand say pray for me I'd like to settle that matter of eternity pray for me God bless you I see your hand way over to my right your left thank you anyone else pray for me pray for me as heads are still bowed, Christian, we're going to meet the Lord too, aren't we? And all we want to meet him with uh, our life being gold, silver, and precious stones. And maybe this morning you'd say, Brother Gatch, God's spoken to me. I know that I'm ready to die in the sense that I know where I'd spend eternity, but I don't want to meet the Lord empty-handed. I, I-, I want one of those crowns that I could give to the Lord. and By doing so, say thank you for what he's done for me. God's pointed out some wood, hay, and stubble in my life today that needs to be turned into gold and silver and precious stones. There's some things I, I need to get right with the Lord today as a believer. And you'd say, pray for me. Would you lift your hand just for a moment while heads are bowed? I could pray for you as well. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you. God bless you. That's wonderful. Our Father, thank you for knowing our hearts. And thank you, Lord, for keeping track of our salvation Thank you for remembering us and knowing that we've settled that matter. And Lord, for these who have sensed this morning that it's not settled, Lord, would you draw them unto yourself? Will you bring them to, to the Savior today? And then, Lord, thank you that as a child you, of God, you know us and you are keeping track of our, our deeds and how we live. Thank you, Lord, when we're faithful, you don't forget about that. One day you'll honor that, you'll reward that, and we can thank you as a result. Lord, convict us where we're not faithful, where we're not obedient, where we're not serving you with all of our heart. Lord, help us to exchange some of those things today at an old-fashioned altar and say, Lord, with your help, I want to, I want to live for you in a way that pleases you. And we'll thank you for what you do in Jesus' name. Let's stand quietly, if you can, with heads bowed and eyes closed. Our instrumentalists are instrumental in a certain place, and there are folks that are more than ready and willing to help you this morning with a spiritual need. And if God has spoken to your heart this morning, you've raised your hand, you said, I don't know for sure that I'd go to heaven if my life ended. I'm going to invite you in just a moment when the music starts to come. Ask someone near you to come with you if you'd like. They'd be happy to. Meet one of these folks here at the front and just say, I'd like to settle this matter of my eternity. They'd be happy to help. If you're here as a Christian, you know what church is about. It's about helping us to get ready for the conclusion. And if God spoke to your heart this morning as a Christian, maybe there's a need to follow the Lord in baptism or join the church or maybe just start reading your Bible. Or Maybe there's a sin God's convicted you about that just needs to stop with God's help this morning. You want to say, Lord, there's some things that need to be taken care of. And I'm going to come and I'm going to say, Lord, with your help, I want to do these things that are pleasing to you. If that's the case, then you come. I'm gonna ask the music to begin and as it plays. If God's speaking, you slip out and come, will you? Wherever you are. Don't hesitate, don't wait. Do what God wants you to do with the message you've heard this morning. In conclusion, one day life will be concluded. And eternity will begin. Are you sure you'd go to heaven? Oh, if not come let someone show you how to be saved today Christian is your life right is your house in order oh what an opportunity to settle some things with the Lord